Hello, and welcome to Talkie Talk, podcast for the mediabyus.com. We are here today with another episode. I'm Brent. This is TJ. This is also TJ. TJ. No, Chris is here. (laughs) Don't be confused. I'm not TJ, I'm Chris. Uh, We're going to be talking about last week's homework, which was assigned by me. Uh, 1967 film called In the Heat of the Night. In the Heat of the Night. Throughout this podcast, can we just randomly do stings from that song, like <laughs> yeah. the movie does? <laughs> they knew what they had. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, this was TJ's first uh, experience watching this movie. So, TJ, why don't you give us a little recap of the plot? Uh, plot of In the Heat of the Night. There's a uh, cop at a diner in Podunk, northern Mississippi. Uh, right Sparta. On, Sparta, yes. Right on the Arkansas border. Um, he's at a diner. It's, it's, the opening scene's actually shot really well. Uh, it really doesn't have a lot to do with the plot of the movie. Nope. So you think, anyway. Um, but he goes around. He goes to a house and looks at like a woman who's obviously like being voyeuristic and standing in the window naked. Uh, drives through town, finds a body uh, on Main Street. And it's a wealthy industrialist who is in from Chicago, essentially building a factory. It's going to have a shit ton of jobs at Sparta. Um, He calls the thing in. The police chief comes. Police chief is uh, Gillespie, played by uh, Rod Steiger, internet winning Best Lead Actor uh, Academy Award for this role. And he uh, takes the body back. Tells him to go look at the pool hall and look at the depot for drifters or hitchhikers. Yeah. Goes to the depot, finds a black man sitting on a bench. Arrest him because he's got some money in his wallet. Uh, like 80 bucks. And because he's black. And because he is 100% because he is black with money. Yeah, and and he's trying to skip town. <clears throat> yeah, leaving for Memphis, going to visit his mom. So yeah. he says. So they arrest him, they take him back. Come to find out he's a... Detective uh, for the Philadelphia Police Department, and um, Gillespie calls his police chief to make sure it's like legit. And the police chief in Philly tells him he's like his pretty much lead homicide detective. He's a homicide expert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So the police chief says, like, do what you do, solve the murder while you're there. And this character's name is Mr. Virgil Tibbs. Virgil. (laughs) Gillespie loves that his name is Virgil. Um, So he goes, pretty much the the next 30 minutes is you realize that this guy is like a a genius when it comes to forensics and, you know, identification and all that kind of shit that would go with uh, figuring out a homicide and finding out who done it. You also find out that this town is not just a little racist, but ridiculously racist. Um, to the point where, like, when they decide that he's going to stay for a couple of days, they're like, oh, he's like, I'll make it till Saturday. Yeah. Like, boys are going to get him. And we, by ridiculously racist, we mean, compared to what you're probably used to, not, this is like par racist for 1960s Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I guess it's par. They're, 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 there are people that are going to kill him, and the cops seem to be okay with it. Yeah. Right. For the best part. Like, if you were black and driving through, you would want some kind of guide that would tell you what places were safe and you would avoid this town. Yeah. Yeah, this place would not have any location in the Green Book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this this movie and Green Book have nothing in common. <laughs> um, but they end up uh, arresting a guy who's fleeing who has the wallet of the industrialist. Uh, Colbert is his name. The industrialist is his name. Colbert. That's not a sentence. Uh, <laughs> the industrialist job is he's a Colbert. <laughs> they work he, makes, on... he makes Colberts. <laughs> um, but they arrest this guy, Scott Wilson, who played Herschel in The Walking Dead uh, in an early role. Harvey is his name. They arrest him. He's trying to get to Arkansas across the Mississippi River and bridge. Gillespie catches him. They bring him back. Uh, Virgil, Mr. Tibbs, as he likes to be called, uh, it says, you got the wrong guy, there's no way he did it. He picked up the wallet, or he was a plant, or something. And the wife of Mr. Colbert believes him, 
and pretty much goes to the mayor and says, I'm going to pack up all the workers who are building your factory that are going to save your town, and we're going to haul ass back to Chicago unless you keep Mr. Tibbs on the case. So there's a lot of like plot back and forth about him wanting to leave, and Gillespie, who's the least racist in the town, still very racist, mm-hmm. but not going to kill him. Right. Um, and he ends up staying, solving the murder with Gillespie, kind of. Uh, there's some plots we'll talk about there of him kind of being racist as well, Virgil. Yeah. Um, trying to pin it on a white man for sure, and like especially a rich white man who kind of still owns slaves. Um, indentured servants at the best, I would right. say. Um, but you come to find out who it is. That's kind of irrelevant to the plot, I think. I mean, it's, 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 a, it makes the movie fun, but... Yeah, it's, it gets into the real hard-boiled aspect of it because it is a very winding like trail that it goes down from there. It, it feels like if I spent like a lot of time talking about the court case and Michaela Mockingbird and not about Scout and Boo. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's the movie. Yeah. And then there's a well-told kind of court drama as well, but yeah. it's not it's not what drives the film. Yeah, it's super police procedural, mm-hmm. which is why it was a terrific option to make into a TV show because if they just focus on that and then have undertones <laughs> of the race relations then yeah, and I can tell you the whole plot about him. Like, they think it's Sam, and then they find out this girl got knocked up by this other guy. But it's going to get real boring if I go into all yeah, that. Yeah, those are just yeah ways to move from A to B to C to D and whatnot. They unsurprisingly solve the crime. Yeah. Um, they kind of buddy up a little bit, Gillespie and Mr. Tibbs do, uh, especially in the last, like, 25 minutes of the movie. Um, but they figure it out, and, you know, Tibbs knocks it out. Gillespie kind of has a I saved the day moment at one point there. But let's get to the gauntlet. Yeah, uh, we'll go to TJ first on this one. Was because uh, it's your first time watching. Was it entertaining? Uh, incredibly. Yeah, this is you know I'd kind of forgotten how entertaining the movie is. I think it does a good job of being entertaining as much as it is. I don't know if there was such a thing as Oscar bait back then, but what we think of now is Oscar bait type stuff, which is just you know like. Getting into issues and getting into, you know, social aspects of the day, which it certainly does, but it also focuses, I think, just as much on just crafting a pretty decent whodunit. Yeah, I couldn't. I had multiple opportunities to stop watching the movie and pick it back up later, and I couldn't mm-hmm. couldn't put it down. What about you, Chris? It's been a while for both me and you, right? Since yeah, and, and I didn't rewatch all of it, um, but I remember... When I had first heard of it, it was one of those, and I know I've talked about this before, lots of times this has happened, where it was a a day at my parents' place where it was on and I was watching it and I was just enraptured by it. Mm-hmm. Where my mom was like, wait, you haven't seen this? You need to start over. And where I started over and rewatched all that I'd seen and watched it to the end. I think it is wildly entertaining. Your mom loved it. My mom always loved, loved this movie. Uh mm-hmm. TJ, do you, do you know if your mom likes it or not? Yeah, I mean... I wonder if it's just like really speaks to their generation. Well, kind of. Also, the TV show was filmed three miles from my house I grew up in. So, the TV show was like huge in Covington. I mean, the library in town was the was Sparta Police Station. Um, wildly different like characters in the TV show. The yeah. chief is like a sweetheart who, you know, sees through all the bullshit there's no racism coming from him, really. Yeah, the TV show is more white savior than uh, the movie is. Yeah, the Virgil Tibbs character is not really the lead in the TV show. No, it's Carol just, O'Connor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's the main emotion from this movie? Is it sort of like triumph for Virgil? Is it just like being, being happy? Being sort of... Uh, I don't know, optimistic that, that these two in this situation could find common ground and, and find respect for each other in the way they did? Or is it just sort of just a, a sad reminder of the way the country was? What's the dominant... Hey, our friend from last week's back. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll skeeter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, we can't do that because we're sending this straight up without edits. <laughs> we have to just deal with the mosquito this time. Um or is it, yeah, like, just sort of sadness over over the era. Definitely no triumph. I didn't feel like anybody kind of won. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why Tibbs's departure is like a sad goodbye on a train platform with, like, kind of a healthy nod from, from you know, Rod Steiger. 
yeah, I mean, there's <clears throat> 15 minutes left in the movie where he really, where he ended up says, like, I was blinded by wanting to pin, um, there's like a rich cotton growing man mm-hmm. up north who's very racist and says, like, he wishes it was the, back in the day where he could just have him shot. Yeah. Slaps the shit out of Virgil who immediately slaps him back. That part felt good. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, no, it didn't, didn't feel like anybody really won here. I mean, they caught the bad guy, and that's good. Yeah, I, mean, I think if you're talking about like classic literature uh, themes, this is this to me feels like more of a man versus himself, where it's not really the struggle to find the murderer, and it's not really the struggle for the two of them to get along, but it's really both up to the individual leads to uh, you know take their blinders off and overcome their own prejudice. Um, I mean, I thought they were they were the thing I thought was the coolest about Rod Steiger's character, Mike Gillespie, was you realize that he's just gotten lazy, but he's actually a really good cop. When and it's when he convinces Virgil to stay, when you know that he's got a read on him, and he's just like, "I know you're the kind of guy who wants to prove all of us white he's wrong." Yeah, you know, you're not going to be able to leave before you figure this out. It's I, like, you, oh shit, he's good. You kind of get that sense at, at the at the where they discover the body at the at the crime scene when he's telling, I think he's telling Sam, he's like, "Hey, go check the pool hall," and it's it's presumably I think it's three in the morning, and Sam goes, "But the pool hall closes at one." He's yeah. like, "Yeah, but go check it." Right. Like these are just like there is there's a reason why I call it a police procedural because there is a procedure. You still go. You check these places for like right. roustabouts. Yeah. And he knows that Virgil's right about it. He wants him to be wrong in the beginning. Yeah. But when he's like, you know, would you say rigor mortis has already set in when he's checking the body? And he's like, I need all this shit. And he's just like, get him whatever he wants. Like, he knows he's right. Yeah. He doesn't want him to be. Yeah. And the assistant goes like, who is this guy? And he yeah. goes, he's the expert. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> that takes us to the story, I think. Um, what were your... I think you may have already mentioned what your favorite aspect of the story was. Mine was uh, mine. Mine, I think, is the the dynamic between the two of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, it steals the show because I really love the way it's portrayed. It's not. It's not just a. It's not a consistent curve from like racist to not racist. It's a. It's very much a wave mm-hmm. where it's like you can kind of see them like getting two steps forward and one step back throughout the movie on their common ground and whatnot. Yeah. So you see them like, you see moments even early where, uh, the sheriff will, will, um, or the police chief will, will gain some respect for Mr. Tibbs. And then something will happen where he just loses it, where he kind of, he kind of falls back into his, uh, whether, whether he's a product of his place or whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's him, he kind of falls back into the getting angry at the black man who's there disrupting his, his peace, his easy his, job. Yeah. yeah. And, but then you'll find moments where he'll come and save him when he's about, when Tibbs is right. about to get killed. Right. And so I love, but that. even then he like waits a little bit. It's like, but, but I kind of, did y'all get the vibe on that scene in the, in the warehouse there that he was like, kind of wanted Virgil just to beat the shit out of them <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, you, yes. Because I, I think, I think at that point, I think we've we've there's if you don't if you don't remember the scene real quick hold your thought just yeah. remember what you're about to say but like he gets cornered by four like rebel flag toting douchebags yeah. who are gonna kill him yeah they're the, gonna, the they're plantation gonna owner like like rustles up a mob yeah and, and they yeah. got him cornered in a warehouse and he's got like a five foot lead pipe yeah and they've all got like chains and shit <clears throat> and uh, he's kind of holding his own before Gillespie kind of saves the day but what were you about to say. Uh, I, I think that uh, by that point, I mean we've come full circle on the arc of like does and, and not just because he saves his life. I think that is a pretty basic human instinct, but I think we've come full circle on like oh Gillespie respects Tibbs regardless of race as a good cop. He is a good police officer. He's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, that's like you know you you know there's the like in the wire they talk about like well that that's good police work. They, that's like the the kind right. of the throwaway, and he he sees that in him, and it's seeing this mob jump him is, you know, it's it's. I think he he wants Tibbs to fight them off as just more of like, oh, he's a good cop. 
Right. He can hold his own. Yeah. He doesn't need me to come save him. The same way that, like, you know, if your if your buddy was in a fight, like, you don't jump in if it's, like, your buddy's in a fight with someone one-on-one and you're like, you know what? It's his fight. Right. Until it's like, oh, this, Especially is, this like is actually getting super that nasty. That time period, yeah. yeah. I mean, I loved how... I felt like the friendship was completely solidified for me when they were in their house. Before they went out. The last night, Tibbs is there. And I guess this might not have come across to y'all as much. Because of your families being normal. But, like, <laughs> my immediate family was by far the most progressive in my, like, family group. Yeah. Everybody, all my cousins were like super fucking racist. Mm-hmm. And uh, to the point where, like, my, I had a cousin who's like 15 years older than me. He's a firefighter. And he was like, hey, I love black people. I'm, they work with me at the fire station all the time. I mean, I never let one in my house. Like, I remember him saying that when I, and I was just like, that's fucking horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like eight. Um, and so I, I got a lot from Gillespie's quote of like, uh, I think you're the first. Or I think you broke the record. Or whatever he says to Tim. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I don't think anybody else has ever been in my house. It's <laughs> <laughs> really good. Yeah, and for me, the moment to... Uh, one of my favorite moments in the movie is at the very end when he takes him to the train station, which he's been threatening to do angrily for this entire movie, which yeah. is great that he still delivers him to the train station. <laughs> right. Uh, I'll take but, it myself. But Tibbs uh, reaches for a suitcase, and uh, Chief grabs it first Yeah, to carry his suitcase to the train for him. Yeah. And that's like the sign that's like, you know what, we're, I think at that point he respects him as a person. Yeah. More mm-hmm. than just as a police officer. Which right. is, yeah. I really love that touch. Yeah. I also like that it's not easy for them either to get along. Like it's, it's a, no, it feels authentically yeah. difficult for them to get along rather than convenient like in other best picture movies I might have seen recently. Yeah. I don't know which one. Um, but the like, the, the way that it's... Spotlight. Hamlet. Yeah. Hamlet. <laughs> uh, it's just super interesting to me that it's like, you know, the, the easy thing to point at and pick apart is the difference in race. But I think it's also really important that, that Tibbs is a detective in Philadelphia. Yeah. City, and this is Northern. Sparta, yeah. Mississippi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like... For sure. And that is something they have to overcome that's kind of a subtext. And, like, clearly <coughs> it's important to Gillespie that when Tibbs... Spouts off that he makes three hundred or one hundred and sixty-nine dollars twenty-eight cents a week. Yeah, they they mentioned that numerous times. So there's like, like I don't think that that serves as a a black man that's making this much money. It's just like, so he's making more money than me. He's from a big city. Thinks he's better than me, and like he's different than me because like he's a different race and he's smarter than me. Well, maybe right. You know, but he's classically educated like there's a fun intersection that that happens between the differences of the two characters and i love that it's about you know just but you're both cops and someone got murdered you also like even also another another big difference too is that even though he's visiting his mom somewhere near there yeah at least memphis um Okay, I thought he. I thought he was. He had been visiting his mom and was catching the train to go. He back. was going to see his mom in the yeah. office. Okay. Well, either way, his mom lives there in the south. Right. Um. But he doesn't have an accent. He doesn't sound like a southern no. right. person in any way. And not, so, even, not even close. So you know that already lets uh, Gillespie know that, like, this guy's just turned his back on the south. He's too good for the, for the south, which is true for the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's a good region to be too good for. Yes. Yeah. You don't you don't point your finger at like Especially Jews in the sixties and go right. like, why don't you have Polish accents? <laughs> but uh but yeah, I think that also drives the further wedge. I like that touch of his mom being there. So like Yeah. He knows he this guy should have roots. A good down bit of, and a lot of this goes back to the um to the author too. I'm I'm sure a lot of this is in the book. I don't know. I've never read it. But uh, then uh, he, uh, what's it called? In the Heat of the Night, John Ball is yeah. the author. So uh, it was a great story. And I, I thought the filmmaking aspect of this, and I'm, again, I'm being stay away from the book because none of us, I didn't know it existed until today. But um, he does everything so correctly while getting arrested, Virgil Tibbs does. Yeah. 
follows every order, doesn't mouth off to Sam, the dumb cop, at all. Doesn't really speak unless he's spoken to. But you still, and so there are points in the movie where I'm like, man, why is he being a dick now? Like, don't be a dick now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't, he's not free of being an asshole. Right. Doesn't he make a suggestion to Sam, too, like, while he's being arrested, that he should, like, take something away from him? I forget. But I feel like he, like, corrects some procedure that That's, Sam is yeah. doing. Yeah. Is <laughs> that? Is it there or when he, was it when he's getting arrested for, uh, evidence for it's when he's being let go he tells him to go do something to help get harvey released he's like you should go um oh go down to the pool hall go down to the pool hall and back up harvey's story because you'll find that he's not lying yeah he can prove it (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, you should you should drop the charge he can prove he's got an alibi he can prove it yeah that's what it was well i think we've kind of already answered the question of are these compelling characters with an emphatic yes yeah um they're, yeah. the, they're the the two pillars of the movie. Yes. Um, does the movie have a specific scene that stands out as great or memorable? I think the opening scene at the police station is fantastic. Where I think everything. I think Chris was saying like the main thing he wanted to watch is everything up into the uh, him examining the body. Yeah, and everything up until that point is well acted, and the camera work of Sam driving in the first five minutes is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, like, stationary camera on the hood of the car so you can only see kind of what the headlights are illuminating. It's kind of creepy. It's, like, really voyeuristic. Yeah. Some of those, uh, the way the police station scenes are shot, it it felt like you had more, when when the camera was on some of the the cops, it was a little further away because they were sort of relaxed in their element because this was their home turf. Mm -hmm. And it would tighten up on Tibbs a little bit where you'd see the he filled up more of the screen so he's both like a bigger presence in this in this building but also it's more tension on him right which i really i really liked i liked the way that entire scene was shot um very tense and you just know that he's in control too like not necessarily of how things are going to play out but just that he he knows what he knows about himself. Right. He knows he basically has like a bomb in his pocket of his badge. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like waiting for someone to look at it. Waiting for these idiots. Right. Yeah. To just get there. But after he's arrested, he does have to call like a rich white man in a foreign city to bail him out of jail. Well, also something that I haven't seen in a movie in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel I just feel like Peter Farley watched this movie like 18 times. Who? Peter Farley. Oh, I don't know who that is. Okay. He's Chris Farley's little brother. <laughs> that's, that's, are you talking about uh, Together star Kevin Farley? Sure. Okay. Then uh, I, know, I know who that is. Well, how about the uh, the performances? Obviously, the two were amazing. The, the supporting cat, I thought, I mean... Ralph, so Ralph, is, Ralph is a 100% a caricature. Yes. Yeah. From, from start to finish. Yeah. And like... The, the the plantation owner is a caricature, and there's like there are people Dar- who Darlene are Darlene or whatever her name is, uh, the the girl the the one who gets knocked up yeah yeah also just sort of yeah, yeah. Was, I feel like th- there are people who are written to be larger than life in this story because it's just like it's they're not meant to be real people they're meant to be like concepts of like you know black prejudice white prejudice you know the like the the Patsy and a murder gone wrong because of a love interest, like all that stuff. That's you know, like you if if that was on the stage, everyone would say it was brilliantly underacted. But you know, on the the big screen, it's like okay, fine. But they weren't bad. It's just like this guy looking like he's about to masturbate into this pie is in the diner. Is just like okay, you're a fucking weirdo. <laughs> Um, I did think out of the supporting roles, none of them were like horrible. I think Chris nailed it when he was called them all characters. I do think Scott Wilson was really good. I do, especially too. in the last scene he's in, pretty much where he's talking to Virgil in the cell. Yeah, it was a really good scene. Really good. Uh, also liked Sam. I liked uh, Warren Oates, who yeah, is already in our talk of fame for yeah. Stripes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he was good. Uh, I'm just now seeing. Did anybody else catch Harry Dean Stanton? He's apparently a cop in the movie, like uncredited. No. One of his what? first roles. Okay, I'm huh. gonna look this up. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. 
was very strange. But uh, but but obviously, well acted. Sidney Poitier and Rod Steiger are Rod Steiger is one of the best leading performances I've seen in a in a especially in a film of this kind of type. It it makes me think like we 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 looked up the the year that Rod Steiger won for this movie for best actor best lead actor. We were like Sidney Poitier could totally hang with Steiger. Yeah. Even though we we probably I think at least TJ and I agree that Steiger. Uh, you know, we like to talk about like wins the movie. He has he has the best performance. Uh, Brent agrees too, I'm sure. Apparently, that's here, Dean Stanton. Nice. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, but we we looked we looked up the 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 class that was nominated that year, and it's a ridiculous class. Of yeah, actors. it's Warren Beatty and Bonnie Clyde. Yeah, it's uh, Dustin Hoffman in The Graduate. Yep. It's Paul Newman and fucking Cool Hand Luke, which yeah. is incredible. Um, I can't remember the last one now. Uh, Spencer Tracy and guess who's coming to dinner? If yeah. we could have just bypassed the 2018 Best Actor race and just given all five all, of them. all of those guys <laughs> retroactive awards, I would have done that in a heartbeat. Uh, they all have awards, but just not for that year. <laughs> yeah. True, um, but it's it and obviously really Rod Steiger holds up. Yes, I mean I think he's just as good, if not better, than all four of those. It's Steiger's role. Of, his job here is fantastic. And one thing I noticed is that the they call me Mr. Tibbs line, which is obviously like the thing that everybody's going to know from that movie. Yeah, AFI's 100 best quotes is number 33. Yeah. It's, like, it's an all-timer with the delivery yeah. and whatnot. But. Yeah, but the setup is what does it. Mm-hmm. It's that him, first of all, this movie fucking makes you hate the word boy. Yeah. Yes. They say it over and over again, and it's not annoying. It's just like, ugh. It just makes you, like, your stomach hurt a little time every time they say yeah, it. Yeah. But his scene set up in that is so good with a, oh, Philadelphia boy, what do they call you in Philadelphia? It's just so, delivered so well. Yeah. Every time they call him boy, it just like it's like a little meter in him that's yeah. rising, <laughs> rising, and then it erupts right there at that moment. Yeah. That's great. Uh, but also, Steiger's response to that is equally volcanic. Yeah. And... Like he has a, I don't, I don't know the exact quote. It's not quite as memorable as they call me Mister Tibbs, but he immediately responds like, "Well, Mister Tibbs, you better, you know." He didn't give a shit, right? Yeah, and I mean, I guess the, the why that's so popular too is because it's Cindy Poitier, first off, who's like the best spoken, yeah, person he's like ever. A, the voice of God, yeah, yeah. and especially halls. in that movie, he has yet to raise his voice or act out at all, right? Oh yeah, so that's why it's so huge. He, he's but. so deferential to every like white cop, even though they've been like. <clears throat> bumbling the whole time. I always assumed he was talking to like a criminal or something. So when that scene came up, I was like, oh, this is it. Oh, that was really good. <laughs> I get it. Um, how Anything impressing you on the technical side for this movie? No visual effects. Uh, I mean, we've talked about the camera work a camera lot. Camera was good, yeah. man. The uh, camera work in the... When uh, Gillespie is chasing Harvey across the bridge, mm-hmm. that like stagnant slow him in the car... <laughs> And then stagnant, the camera's moving the same speed, but it's so much more frantic because he's like running full sprint across the bridge, trying yeah. to get to Arkansas. The, the the good edit there too of the of that little chase scene, yeah, going back and forth from the from and then, Harvey to the more foreshadowing that Gillespie's a good cop. He's really good at his job when he wants to be. Where mm-hmm. everybody's freaking out in the woods with the dogs, and he's just like, I got him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really good. Uh. Anything else? Sound? Score? Anything? Score! Score! (laughs) Slit! So, I feel like the music, not the song, the music could either be, why is this here? It's so loud compared to the rest (laughs) of it. And and why? Or you could be like, this is kind of, like, I kind of get it. I kind of like it. I dug it. And I honestly think it led to whoever the fuck wrote the score for Law and Order because <laughs> that's what some of that shit sounded like it's like super hammered bass licks it's like one of two things that like very specifically for me dates when this movie came out which is the score and also uh, Tibbs constant use of the phrase you dig you dig <laughs> they just go hand in hand to me that's so, um, I, I like the the score, and of course, the song got used like five times in the movie. They oh, knew, yeah. They knew, and the, the song and, is like super famous from the TV show. Well, too. you get Ray yeah. Charles to sing the title of your movie, and you're going to use the, the hell out of that. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, and most of the score is just using stings from the song In the Heat of the Night. Yeah. Right. Um, all right, the big one. If uh, of those involved with the movie, is this anybody's number one achievement? Man. Uh, and if not, who would it be closest for? 
think there's an argument it's a number one for like both actors. Before we yeah. take this question seriously, can I point something out about the author of the original book? Mm-hmm. So John Dudley Ball, I was looking through to see what else did that guy write. Um, not a lot, but it is noted that he was um, a sheriff's deputy, so that makes sense why he has that, um, a nudist. And he also uh, was a famed mu- magician. I was not expecting this fact. <laughs> oh. uh, he was a semi-professional magician under the name Jacques, Mon- Jacques Morintel and How Doozy. He was listed in the Who's Who in Magic in the May 1933 issue of The Sphinx, the an independent Sphinx. magazine for magicians published from March 1902 <laughs> through March 1953 when people started realizing magic's not real. Uh, and contributed to an article called Further Ideas to the Sphinx in 1937. Apparently, he didn't have more than 16 years of ideas for the Sphinx. <laughs> but. <laughs> Weird. Anyway, he wrote like a, a dozen things, but he was not the screenwriter. I just wanted to point that out because I saw it and thought it was hilarious. It's definitely. That, that, yeah. his, that his Wikipedia article is basically In the Heat of the Night and then Magician. <laughs> oh, sorry, it said In the Heat of the Night and it said Magic. And I was like, I'm clicking on that. What was his magician name again? Uh, How Doozy was one of them. Uh, they call me Monsieur. Oh, I bet it was. I bet it was pronounced How Doozy, because How, how Doozy does do, do it. it. Uh, and the other one was Jacques Morintel. Uh, director Norman Jewison he had a good career. Who is still alive? Boy, he is. Uh, Hadn't directed in a while, but yeah. yeah. Well, he's ninety-three. Yeah. So, but I mean, he directed the Hurricane, the nineteen ninety-nine like Denzel Washington movie. What's that about? Uh, Will you tell me the story about it? (laughs) (laughs) So he's a three-time Best Director nominee uh, for In the Heat of the Night, Fiddler on the Roof, and Moonstruck. I hear those are good. Anybody seen Moonstruck? I've seen Moonstruck. Is it good? It's good. This is better. Yeah, I've seen Fiddler. This is better. Um, He directed the the Thomas Crown Affair. The original Rollerball, which is I know people point to as kind of being a good action movie for the 70s. Yeah, the hurricane. I don't see a lot that I think this is probably his best movie. If I'm having to guess on things that I've never seen, it's, not, only, it's the only one that won Best Picture, and, and not really <laughs> not a name. That and not really a name that if you had an argument about uh, whose best work in the heat of the night was uh, would come up. I don't think anyone would be like, "Oh, but Jewison is his best." I think it's a given. Yeah, um, but you might have. A director who has a career that I wouldn't call iconic, but is very, very good. Yeah, it's... And uh, Sidney Poitier, of course, is like a superstar. Yeah. And uh, a solid argument can be made that it's his best. And Rod Steiger, too. I mean, you're looking at like pretty much most people involved, Harry Dean Stanton aside, this is probably their best friend. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, Poitier is a, you know, top 50 actor of all time right. for most people. So, right. this is... I haven't seen Lilies of the Field. I would imagine that's the only movie that I would really need to catch up on to know for sure. Because you've seen Sneakers 20 Because times. I've seen Sneakers plenty. <laughs> so Well, I've seen The, uh, the Jackal, <laughs> and I don't remember Sidney Poitier in that. What about Ghost Dad? Have you seen Ghost Dad? I've seen Ghost Dad, <laughs> but the last time I saw Ghost Dad was the only time I saw it. When I was in theaters, when my grandfather took me to that movie, which... Led him to then take me to uh, the Nutty Professor, which was a very. I thought you were going to say church. No, like, gotta get them ghosts out of you. <laughs> no, which was a very different reaction to a Bill Cosby, not Bill Cosby, but to a like a black person oh, right. comedy. Was he was like, oh, if this is anything like Ghost Dad, then it'll be wholesome comedy for my grandchildren, and the the farting scene. He he walked out. He left us in the theater. <laughs> he just got. <laughs> yeah, he he stood out. In, he stood out in the lobby. Uh, that's something like you would do, though. I feel like, yeah, with I'd, your great kids, I, I'd wait there. I'd make. I wouldn't go out all the way to the lobby, but I'd be like right outside the door. But I have a phone, so I can like look at stuff. <laughs> he just had like his dwindling years to think about. <laughs> oh my God. His liver spots to count. <laughs> Still more entertaining than Nutty Professor, though. <laughs> Ah, we enjoyed it. The farting bit, the Hercules stuff. I mean, that that plays to kids. <laughs> it 
It wasn't written for kids. That's what's sad. Yeah, but <laughs> it was written for adults. Yeah, I mean, if Poitier they knew their audience, they missed it, but they lucked out. If Poitier would have played more roles in this and would have farted more, <laughs> definitely would have been his number one performance of all time. <laughs> if he was also in Gillespie. <laughs> yeah. Warren Beatty, move out of the way. Poitier, nominee, best actor. Um. Was this movie financially successful? Two million dollar budget made twenty eight million. So yeah, that's that's a that's a that's a hit back then. Yeah, yeah. Twenty million. Um, makes sense. It was a, a hot button issue of the day. Yeah, I, I think the, the your biggest price tags are Ray Charles and Poitier at the time. Yeah. So I think that most of that two million is going in those two pockets, which for a movie of with this subject. To probably have the two highest paying expenditures be on your, like, black leads. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, let's do it. Important film history? So, I don't know that this... Oh, it absolutely is. I don't know that it's a... I don't know that it's film history. I don't know that it's, like, an artistic inspiration for a lot of directors. But I think this is an inspiration for producers and, like, studios. Absolutely. Because they have been churning out movies that have been trying to recapture this magic for 30 years. And something that doesn't come up on Talk of Fame a lot totally led to all these police procedurals that got super famous in the 80s and 90s on TV. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, in the heat of the night, the TV show probably led to Law and Order and, you know, all that shit. Yeah, and you you had those beforehand, but this was definitely the one that opened up the door for the sort of odd couple cops. Yeah. That... Um, I, or at least the the like racial odd couple comics, like Jake and the Fat Man, or whatever. Yeah, right. Because I think the closest you probably had before that was off the top of my head is like Dragnet, which is like right. One of them's by the book, maybe, and the other one's not. I don't know. Sure. They're kind of both by the book, man. Well, maybe I'm thinking of something else. Yeah. Either way, this definitely played a huge part in that evolution. Right. Um, and then obviously movies like, I mean. White guy and a black guy in the South finding respect for each other. And that would have happened anyway, I would think. Sure. But the the procedural part mm-hmm. was was really well done. And that's just such a cash cab cash cow now for producers, T V and cinema. Is it one of the best movies in its genre? Genre's interesting to think about with this movie. I think if you narrow it down to the two like most narrow genres you could which would maybe be like a racially charged movie whatever you want to call that it's and up there a, and a police procedural yeah. I think it's up there in both maybe not as high on police procedural for me but it's not not in a it's not that it's bad what, what would be higher because I was having trouble coming up with something I like better well maybe okay I don't know about specifically police procedural but like investigative does that work yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just throw out some, and I'll... I might, like... I, I think I like... I might enjoy, like, the investigation of, like, Tinker Taylor better than the specific investigation here. Yeah, it's hard to compare, I guess, because it's such, like, a grander scale. Because this has another huge story to tell, too. True, uh, absolutely. And yeah. so I think that's why maybe I don't like the investigation as much here, because the investigation is merely the... Device and it's not a bad one. And it'd it be like call, feel, it'd be calling not, not to keep doing this. To I mean, this is the first time I mentioned on the podcast, I think. But like it'd be like saying like my top five court dramas want to kill a mockingbird number one. Yeah, is that kind of where you're getting that? Well, like, no, I, the courtroom I, drama isn't what makes that movie so great. Well, what he's saying is that that specifically each part of the investigation is just a stepping stone for their relationship to build. So that the investigation is more of like the ladder to get to the end. And it's it's so it's so it's not the best kind of it's mystery and like crime solving narrative. Yeah, I mean the whole thing. It's the bone, not the meat. Right there, there you me. go. Yeah, um, which is whereas other movies, I think the investigation is the meat. Yeah, sure. And so, yeah, I just wanted to. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but among movies where there's a character named Shagbag, this is definitely number one for me. <laughs> Shagbag was good. I don't even remember Shagbag in the movie. Oh, I definitely Shagbag. remember Shagbag. It was the... Uh, was he one of the racists? 
No. I guess so, because he wasn't Mr. Tibbs. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't Mr. Tibbs or the woman. (laughs) No, who is Shagbag? He's one of the cops. Yeah, he's one of the cops. Okay. Urban Dictionary defines Shagbag (laughs) as a loose woman, a bike, a slut, a slag. Oh, Shagbag's the prostitute they talk about. Shagbag is played by Timothy Scott. Sure, prostitute. I don't know. There's also, I definitely remember hearing shag bag. I'll say that. Also, a shag bag is a thing, a tool that you buy uh, for hitting balls on the driving range. Prostitute. <laughs> Checks out. I think it's your uh, bag of like, like bad balls that you like. Don't care if you lose. <laughs> but I googled shag bag because I was like, I wonder if there are any other movies with shag bag in it. <laughs> So far, no luck. It's like, oh wait, there's a shag bag in Citizen Kane. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> this is brother. Shag bag. <laughs> shag bag was the second man in the third man. <laughs> the main guy, shag bag, and Harry Kane. I just want to put shag bag now in famous movie quotes that have names in them. I'm shag bag. This is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> you had me at shag bag. I'll have what shag bag's having. We can stay in this movie. They call me Mr. <laughs> <laughs> what if that was the one? Wait, that? No, shag bag. I am your father. If someone asks if you're a shag bag, you say yes. That's so good, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Where were we? I have no idea. No, I'll put it in musicals, though. Make way, make way. Shag back. <laughs> I, I, My name is Shag Bag. <laughs> Can we rename our podcast Shag Bag? <laughs> I'm definitely adding it as a tag on the website. <laughs> Shag Bag. <Yeah. laughs> Oh, man. Say his name three times, he'll appear. <laughs> shag back, shag back, shag back. <laughs> Guys, the lights went out. I know you can't see because this is a podcast. Uh, Are there any more questions or do we vote now? Um, <laughs> shag bag is it's auto in, I think, with the shag bag jokes. Uh, I, think we're, I think we're ready to, uh, I think we're ready to vote. Uh, should this be the talk thing? Well, I want to ask a question. Yeah. Did you guys like this better than Green Book? Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, by a mile. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yes. Do you think that Green Book may have been wildly inspired by this movie? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. I just want to... That is a detriment to this movie. Multiple scenes. Outside <laughs> yes. of the... We're doing like pre-show stuff. Brent was saying like... Making fun of like teach, Viggo Mortensen teaching Mahershala how to be black, eating fried chicken or whatever. And I was like, this movie didn't shy away from that. It just did it a lot better. When he was just like, these are your people. You're going to let them starve and not have jobs? The like, dif- that makes sense. That's the thing. <laughs> the difference to me in this movie is that they, they they find their common ground on their own terms. Not like having, like, yeah. like he uh, has to, uh, he he's going to find common ground with Mr. Tibbs on Mr. Tibbs' terms. Not Mr. Tibbs having to, you know, be his kind of. Be whatever Gillespie wants him to be. But, I mean, people that listen to this podcast, I think Green Book is better than this movie. Should stop trying to watch movies. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Don't give up, people. <laughs> no. We're, we're, we're trying to make you better. If you've seen both and you're like, no, Green Book's way better, you're just wrong. Yeah. Well, true, you're wrong. But <laughs> So this has been another entry in uh, Chris's investigation of uh, what movies are better than Green Book. So far, three for three. Uh, Captain Marvel? No, 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 well, Wait, no. I just want to ask about Captain Marvel from the last podcast if it's better than Green Book. Wait, but I just want to clarify that what I was at, what this project is is you watched Chicago and you watched Hamlet. Yes. And you said both were better. Yes. And now you said that this other Best Picture winner was better. Yes. Okay, that's the thrust. But is Captain Marvel better? I don't know. The Green Book. I dislike it less. I don't know that it's so you better. you like it? I have more of a... It's weird. I feel like Green Book is, is well made in the areas, but I also just have more of a palpable dislike for it. Whereas Captain Marvel sought no emotion from me whatsoever. Yeah. So I feel like it 
it gets no emotion for me. I'm 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 gonna take 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 an easy side road out so that we can vote and say that if both movies, Green Book and Captain Marvel, were up for the talk of fame, you would vote no on both. Yes. Okay. So they are an equal standing for yes. there. Yeah. And one of them is one best picture. Right. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> yes. I'll go first because I think it's probably obvious to anybody listening. Um, I'm in for this. All in. You're voting yes? Yeah. I was voting yes 30 minutes into the movie. It was going to be hard for it to ruin itself. The first 30 minutes are fucking masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Chris? I am also yes. <clears throat> Unabashedly a fan of this film. Uh, it's it It does with its leads a quiet service to what every movie that thinks it's paying homage to it wishes that it could do better. Absolutely. But, well said. But fails. Yes. Um, th- this is... Even like, if it succeeds. Yeah, even if it succeeds. <laughs> there is no question here of who is the... Like, plot-wise, you know, we can say that Rod Steiger did a better job with the performance, but that that is relevant right. to the plot and the device. But just the way that they take two trains on one track facing each other and smash them into each other of an expert phenomenal cop with prejudice, an expert phenomenal cop with prejudice, and make them just fucking deal with it. Mm-hmm. It's it, This movie would succeed absence with an absence of race and difference there. But that it has that and is played... Both overtly and like incredibly subtly, but the way the characters develop their progression towards respect is just beautiful. And I, I just think that, that it, this is a fantastic movie for doing so. And everything else can only be seen as you know mimicry. I like it. Well said. What do you think, Breezy? Um, uh, yes, I'm a yes for this movie too. Yeah. Nice. I. Uh, I wasn't quite sure coming in because I wasn't. I, I kind of just wanted to have the conversation first to sort of. Ideally, that's how we all watch movies, boom, for the talk of fame. Well, also, I also watched this movie closest to the recording time. Like, I, I finished it an hour ago. Fin- yes, finished yeah. it very shortly ago. So I didn't really have a lot of time to process right. how I felt on but it. You, it wasn't your first watch, so it wasn't the worst right. thing. Um, so. Um, but it's uh, after talking about it, it's kind of an easy yes for me. Yeah, it's it's just based on on everything that Chris said. I love the way the two characters have their arcs because it feels earned their arcs through this movie, and it doesn't feel like one is leading the other one to his path necessarily to his end result. Um, plus, you've got an iconic actor of his generation. Doing the best work of his career. Um, so I think for me, this is a movie people need to have seen. Yeah, and I'll say this. If you're a fan of just like acting in general, uh, I kind of feel like I did after watching Network for the first time a couple yeah. years ago. Like, I, it would take forever for me to compile this and put it into some kind of spreadsheet or list. But like, I wouldn't be surprised at all if I listed out my favorite acting, like lead acting male performances. If Rob Steiger was in like the top five, I wouldn't be surprised. Mm. It's a... Masterclass of acting, I think. From that. Yeah. Also, I, I don't. I don't think that this is going to be anyone's favorite movie. Like it. it, it yeah. It, it might like. Agreed. But I really do think that if you want to see an expert level execution of a lot of a lot of, and we talked difficulty with genre classification. Um, but if you want to, if there are things that you like, genres that you like, that have been distilled down to a thing that you see. If you are into police procedurals, this has got a great mystery in it. If you are into, you know, this like kind of road style movie where you're, you know, like the odd couple kind of odd couple buddy cop, yeah, yeah. And then if you're just a fan of like a good drama and good acting, like this is this is exemplary in all accounts. And sometimes we struggle thinking about what does this represent to us. And for me, this is like the roundest circle to sit at the center of a lot of those categories. Like, that it's, well, this could represent, parts of this can kind of branch out in its, like, amoebic presence and be part of this circle and part of that circle while still being kind of wholly centered as its own thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I just, I really like it. For what it's worth, David said he couldn't be here tonight. Uh, 
that uh, he was leaning yes, I don't think our discussion would have swayed him off of yes. Right. Um, so, you know, we're, 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 I think we're soundly 3-0 and probably would have been guaranteed 4. Nice. Also really like movies where one character really gets to show up another in their knowledge of train schedules. <laughs> so... This uh, yeah, definitely checks that box for me. Was it the... Uh, yeah, the train reminded me. Yeah. Teach, teach. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all right, well, welcome to the Talk of Fame. In the heat of the night, you finally accomplished what you uh, set out to do 52 years ago. This weekend, I will add the past, like, five entries into the website. <laughs> my goal today. Excellent. Um, so, that was... Oh, before we do wrap-up, let's go to TJ for our next assignment. Yeah, I was gonna check this, but we're gonna. I'm gonna keep rolling with the Oscar nominees. I think this one in 1948. I want to say nominees or winners. Winners, sorry. Yeah. Um, I think <laughs> it won 48, or maybe it's 49. It was the year after Hamlet. Um, so 48. 48. Okay. So it's uh, all the King's Men though is our homework. It is streaming on Stars at the moment. Based so. on a very successful book, I want to say. Yes, Huey Long story, right? Robert yep. Penn Warren, or did he do All the President's Men? I get it. Now, All the President's Men is Burns, Woodward and Bernstein. Yeah, so right. this is Robert Penn Warren. Right yeah, the, yeah. The so, yeah, streaming on Stars. Check it out. We'll talk about it next. It's about the closest thing to a dictatorship that we've seen in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, the basically like feudal leadership in Louisiana. Yeah. Very interesting story. Yeah. Excellent. Looking forward to watching that. I've never seen it. Have any of us seen it? I haven't seen it. Fun. Fun. I think there's like a like, like a remake that was made in like the early 80s that I might have seen. Mm. But it's like not great. And not I'm, interested. I'm not, <laughs> not sure about that. But uh, And putting another little check on our best picture. Yeah. We're going to see if this movie that probably deals with race in some way <laughs> is better than Green He deals with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Uh, this is Talk to Talk, podcast for the media by us. Our Facebook groups are Movies by Us, TV by Us, and Games by Us. Squeak, squeak. Tweet, tweet. Email, email. Get in touch with us any which way you can. If you have any suggestions or comments or feedback, uh, give us a uh, rating as long as you enjoyed what you heard. And uh, please subscribe. Help our numbers out on the iTunes and whatnot. Last but not least, thank you to the Willow Walkers for our intro music. Thank you. More. And thank you to Burifa for the outro music. Burifa. Burifa. Adios. Good night. They call me Mr. Brent. Thanks, Thanks Brent. Thanks, Connor. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small towns, slow folks, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know All the things